And I'm Brooke Thomas, and I'm really glad to be here. Jenkin uh, and Anna, they're gonna be back for the post game, but I'm hanging out here with you just for a little bit to talk to a couple of great guests. Let's get right into it, get started. First up, we have Parker Malloy, editor at large for uh, Media Matters for America. Hi, Parker, it's always great to have you. Hey, it's great to be here. And we've been on the damage report together, but I don't think we've ever done like a one-on-one -on -one together, so I'm excited about no. this. Yeah, definitely. And let's <laughs> get right into it with Facebook. There's a lot to talk about. Um, what a day, what a day, uh, what a week for Mark Zuckerberg, I guess, and for the rest of us, unfortunately. So he's been in the news a lot over this entire week, almost every day this week, it seems. And a lot of it is about his relationship with conservatives. We've learned a lot. It kind of started with us finding out he was having these secret meetings with uh, GOP politicians and people like Tucker Carlson. And also so far that he is has agreed for an exclusive interview on Fox News with a Fox host. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, this week, just kind of following this? Sure, well, one of the things I've been, I've, I've written about this quite a few times, uh, the, the general Facebook bias kind of question. And one thing we've done at Media Matters is time and again, we've done these, you know, we've, done actual research into this and conservative pages perform just as well if not better than left leaning pages mm -hmm. and that that's just there's indisputable evidence of that there's no evidence that shows that there's bias against conservatives but the but conservatives will call them uh call Zuckerberg into testify before congress and have diamond and silk there for some reason and you know all all of that so they're they're doing this thing where they're playing the refs they're they're constantly claiming that there's bias when there really just isn't or there is no evidence of it so that's something that uh that it's frustrating to watch because it seems like time and again what happens with these tech companies and you know Facebook Twitter any of these uh Google, same thing. Uh, they they kind of cave to conservative pressure because you don't see that happen on the left quite so much. You know, one one thing that that uh, that, that you'll sort of see is, for for instance, there was uh, I, I recently wrote a piece about Prager Prager University, the fake university, and one of the things that they keep pushing is this idea that because some of their videos are hidden behind the, you know, the explicit content firewall or whatever that 2% of YouTube users uh, use, that that was bias against them. But then there was then there was sort of a study that showed that, uh, for instance, the Young Turks has, has a higher percentage, um, which is really, really interesting. But yet you're not running a bunch of programming saying that, that they're biased against you. So it's the same thing with all of these companies. It's the same play over and over. And Facebook, I think, is the Biggest and most most consequential one of one of them because in 2016 they really dropped the ball. What happened was there was a Gizmodo article yeah. that came out saying that uh, that people were suppressing uh, conservative viewpoints, and it was really just one or two you know people's opinions and what ended up happening was Zuckerberg met with a bunch of conservatives immediately after you know people like Tucker Carlson and uh Dana Perino who he'll be speaking with tomorrow uh so so he he did that 
And then what ended up happening was they got rid of the human uh, editors. They left it all up to an algorithm and immediately it started trending fake news, you know, like actual fake news, um, fake stories about how the Pope endorsed Trump and uh, Megyn Kelly endorsed Hillary, you know, all, all of these stories that were just complete nonsense. It muddied the waters for the election. And it was, it was something that came out of these meetings that Zuckerberg had exclusively with conservatives. And that's one thing that constantly keeps happening. He keeps meeting just with them. For instance, when they rolled out this, when they rolled out their fact checking partnerships, they had something, something like PolitiFact, Snopes, factcheck.org, and the Associated Press and ABC News. And what happened was immediately conservatives started complaining. They were saying these are all left-leaning uh, fact checkers, which is kind of kind of ridiculous. Uh, so what the, what Facebook ended up doing was they let the Weekly Standard join their fact checking group, and then they let the Daily Caller join the fact checking group earlier this year. It keeps things keep moving. They keep yeah. moving the goalposts. They keep wanting more and more and more. And part of what I what I wrote about earlier this week was just this this idea that there is nothing that Mark Zuckerberg can do to appease them. Uh, after 2016, he handed them a gift. You know, he handed them a 2016 gift, mm -hmm. basically. And they immediately come back and say, "Why? Why are you being biased against us?" And it's never going to stop. And I really, I, I wish people would understand that. But then his speech that he gave today. Let's get into it. It's an, yeah, it's not it's not inspiring a lot of confidence. <laughs> so this, this is something that I always think about. I think like people have this idea um, when talking about uh, media executives, talking about te the tech industry, um, and I think anything that's like innovative and smart, there is just this immediate idea like, oh, they're a leftist. Oh, they're this, and a lot of times when people talk about Mark Zuckerberg, it's like, no, so he's very liberal, but but but, and. He, it's like the first time you heard it, Rupert Murdoch say anything. It's like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I wonder how much of this is just that like he's afraid of them and he wants their business. And if it's he it just is them. And this is a person who has these same beliefs and feels passionate about this and is walking like a conservative, talking like a conservative, only speaking to conservatives because he is him. and because it's not just we're not he's not only like having conversations with people who feel differently than maybe you or I do about taxes. He's talking to white nationalists. He's talking to yeah. like open racists and homophobes. I, it's a little this is stronger than just like oh people have different political ideologies, right? Yeah, yeah. I I feel like there's there's definitely this this view that people people have that that these these tech CEOs are all super far left but that's i mean they're 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 billionaires right, uh, right. i don't I, there aren't there unfortunately i mean well for for the sake of funding progressive movements uh there there are not too many uh super lefty billionaires out there uh -huh. which you know maybe is a good thing i don't know <laughs> um so so you've got this maybe they have socially liberal views on things but as that recording came out um what was this earlier earlier in the month i think where it was zuckerberg talking about how elizabeth an elizabeth warren presidency would be disastrous for facebook and i mean if if she actually was able to 
you know, break them up, of course it would be, you know, and so so that's that's something that comes up. And I think that it's it's really hard to make these arguments that these are are left leaning people. I mean, or at best centrists, but when it comes down to it, it's it's better for their business. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what matters. Um, that they pander to conservatives. There's really no incentive to to pander to the left. No one's afraid of no one's afraid of the left. Like Everyone's afraid at of the night, right. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. You can buy sleep, I guess. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's switch on Facebook because I wanted to. We just have a couple minutes left, and I want to uh, get your thoughts on uh, something that everyone has been talking about last week. And at the end of the Democratic debate, there was this question that people are calling the Ellen question, but really it was like, hey, normalize the idea of working with people who are not just different from you. We're not talking about like uh, black people working with white people. We're talking about people who are normal and people who believe uh, certain identities shouldn't have civil rights. Uh, and normalize that for me. That essentially, that's kind of how like a lot of people are taking the question. And I saw you kind of tweeting about this and having to break that down and explain to people that there's a difference between like this person deserving the same civil rights as this person and this person disagreeing about like something simple. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, there it's it's that. Um, oh, I'm not even going to try to quote it, but it's it's that James Baldwin quote, quote about you know something like it, respecting you know humanity. It's okay to have differences uh-huh. if it's if it's just a, a matter of opinion. You know, it's okay to have differences if if we're talking about uh, how we think taxes should be spent one year or how we think. Uh, you know, what very specific version of a policy we we think about or what our favorite Star Wars movie is, you know, something like that. But when it comes down to things like civil rights, it's I I, I don't know how you bridge that gap. I don't know how you bridge the gap with someone who doesn't think that you deserve rights or that you're not fully a person. Uh, and and that's something that I think comes up a lot. And with you know with with George W. Bush, you know, especially he, he was the president. He's he's not your uncle. He's not your he's not your coworker that you that you're friendly with. These are that's different than someone who is in a huge position of power, who has implemented policies that will affect us for generations to come. And um, you know, I I really think that a lot of people like to have that sort of that sort of feeling where they can say, look. We all get along, and this is this is what America is all about. We mm-hmm. we can all disagree, but we can all still get along. But the truth is that we all can't. Some people, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who aren't alive because of things that happened during the Bush presidency. You know, they they can't get along with anybody, and so that's sort of the 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 stuff that we have to take into consideration when we're looking at how we rehabilitate um, people's careers. And I I, I worry. Um, people talk about, you know, oh well, when Trump's out of office, he's going to be a total pariah. I don't know if he will. I think he's going to probably get the George Bush treatment, and we're going to go, oh, well, look at him. He's kind of he was always kind of exaggerating, and he'll be treated like like our weird uncle. But he's he's the president. George W. Bush was the president. Um, these things have real. Impact on 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 people, and I think that the, some of that sort of speaks to this idea of politics as a game, mm-hmm. as we're rooting for two different teams, not uh, pushing for different policies that could affect our lives in gigantic ways. 
I completely agree. Now, there's, I think that there are certain things that we have to stop um, calling politics. Certain things yeah. that are just, it can't, basic humanity aren't necessarily politics. Parker Malloy, editor at large for Media Matters for America. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you. All right, we will be right back with another great guest that I'm really excited to talk to. Stay with us. Hey there, welcome back to the conversation. Thank you for watching. I'm Brooke Thomas hanging out for Jen just for a little bit longer. He's gonna be right back. If you are a member, you can check him out on the post game. So make sure you rectify that if you're not a member. But let's get into our next guest, Vanessa K. DeLuca, editor in chief for Zora. It's a new medium publication, and I wanna get into that. But first, Vanessa, hi, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. And before we even start talking about Zora, I have been I've been a fan of yours for a while and pretty excited to be talking to you. And just for our viewers who don't know, can you give them just a little bit of your background? Sure, so um, I, before I start as the editor-in-chief of Zora, which launched in June of this year, uh, I was the editor-in-chief of Essence Magazine for five years and I worked there for 15 years. So um, uh, I have a long story history <laughs> at Essence. And, and then before that, I worked at various other publications like Life Magazine and um, Glamour. Very, very cool to have you on the show today. So uh, let's talk about Zora because Zora is Medium's new publication centered on the experiences of women um, of color. And I wanna know just from you, like how important is it for you? Cause it's not your first time around being a part of a publication that does center the experiences of women of color, black women for essence, but this is all women of color. And I know how important it is for me to have something like this exist. And it's been said that there is nothing like this out there. Can you tell me first, of course, the importance of it to you and then also how it sets itself apart? Sure, we like to say that we, our mission is to unabashedly amplify the voices of women of color. And part of the reason for this is because there aren't a lot of spaces where our voices are centered, where, um, where there's a place where the content is by, for, and about women of color. Uh, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we um, you know, are able to offer a platform where these voices can be elevated, where our stories can be shared, where um, you know, a lot of things that you might say, oh, I'm so glad somebody finally is talking about this. Yeah. Um, those kinds of um, stories are the kinds of stories that you'll find in Zora. Um, and it's everything from personal essays to opinion pieces. We talk about politics, we talk about you know, self-care and identity, we run the gamut. Uh, and, um, and, and so far, so far, our audience has been really quite responsive in supporting us. It's a really great publication. It's really great, actually. I've been checking it out daily myself. And you've had some big names already writing for Zora. Can you tell us some of those? 
Sure. Well, we had uh, Farai Chidea uh, write a very um, personal, um, a- amazing essay about the uh, challenges that she was having going through um, the adoption process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's one that was one of our most popular stories. And then we, you know, and then we veered to um, talking about, you know, politics and talking about. Um, the different candidates, the the many, the many, the multitude of Democratic candidates in the in the race, and you know, and just taking a, a look at some of those some of those um, platforms and and what they stand for, and and how we as women of color should be thinking about these candidates as we move into 2020. Um, we also did a package, a special package recently, on what it's like to be multiracial. In America, and I thought that that was interesting because in 2020, that's going to be the next uh, census, and so it'll be interesting to see how many people, um, you know, uh, designate themselves as something other than you know one thing, as just black or just white or just Asian or um, whatever the case may be. I think it's going to be interesting that more people are probably going to embrace the idea that they are multiracial, and that will be interesting to see how it how that affects and impacts on um, federal dollars because we know that the census um, really does dictate how much many different communities are able to get and what those what those funds are used for. I love that. So, just because I'm curious, is there what's the meaning behind the name Zora? Zora actually was inspired by two things. Okay. First of all, Zora, Zora means dawn, and we felt that this was the dawn of a new publication. <laughs> um, also, we were inspired by Zora Neale Hurston, of course, of course um, the Harlem Renaissance um, doyen. Just you know, the just one of the most prolific, most um, inspiring um, people from that era. And um, just wanting to pay um, homage to her in some way, and to acknowledge that um, this is this publication is as unapologetic as she is. That's so great. So I had that idea, but I wanted to be. I'm like, that's almost too perfect, but it, it works. So what's Azora's ultimate goal? Like expanding into video? Any anything on the horizon? Can you tell us anything about that? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, of course, I, whenever anyone asks me this, I'm like, yes, world domination is our goal. <laughs> but, you know, but of course, we want to expand into more um, experiential things. So some live events um, that are attached to or, um, you know, kind of offshoots of some of the content that we're creating. Uh, eventually, I can see a, a podcast in our future, um, that which, you know, I think just being able to give the voices that are in print, that are on the, you know, in the digital space to be able to give those voices another space where they can be, um, where they can be elevated and they can be celebrated, I think is really important. Um, So, you know, and of course, I would love for us to be doing more in the social media space in terms of just conversations with the audience. Um, Our audience is very engaged on social media. We have the largest 
um, following um, in, um, in and on Twitter, and and we're growing on Instagram. And just to be able to engage those, you know, that audience even more uh, deeply and more um, meaningfully is something that's very important to us. That's great. Uh, just I want to get back to you a little bit because I did read this pretty cool article about you in Forbes. And it was a little bit about like uh, leaving Essence and your next steps. And I want to know what it's like for you. Because I think a lot of us, especially as media is kind of transforming itself for the good and then sometimes bad. And there's movement and changes and everyone is open to different things and sometimes much better things. And what has this transition been like for you? You know, it's been an extraordinary ride. I mean, if someone had asked me um, a year ago if I that I if I would be um, at a launching a digital platform, um, I would have said oh, you're crazy. Like you know, I, I really would have been um, very doubtful that that would have happened. But the opportunity um, arose, and the idea that we could create a space for women of color who so very often um, their voices are sidelined or not, you know, um, they are not appreciated, not given the full um, weight that they should be. Um, to be able to create a space where that is the primary goal is very exciting. And so when Medium, um, when I, you know, I, I brought this idea to Medium and they were open to it, I just thought, wow, you know, what an opportunity. How often do you get to build something from the ground up? Yeah. Um, I can't say that that happens to very often in a lifetime. And so to have this opportunity was very important to me and I'm loving every bit of it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and chatting with us tonight. We really appreciate it. It's been great to learn more about Zora. Thank you. Everyone, Thank I think we have a photo for you there too. Everyone should go and check out Zora.medium.com, Zora by Medium. It is a new online publication focused on voices of women of color. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, that's it. That's the conversation for this evening. So, like I said, post game, it's coming up in just a little bit. If you are not a member, you have to become a member. You know what you have to do to become a member? You have to go to, do we have it on the bottom of the screen there? We do, we have it. There it is. It's tyt.com slash join. That's how you become a member. Post game is really cool. It's a really fun. It's one of my favorite shows here on the network. So make sure you become a member so that you can check that out as well. Like I said, I'm just here hanging out for a little bit, Jenks. Right back in here as soon as I go. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Brooke Thomas. Have a good night.